Hi, my name is Aaron Hodges, host and producer of The Monkey Business Show. And I know almost nothing about investing. Fortunately, the stars of the show, Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett, have spent their careers in the weeds of Wall Street, and they want to pass some of their knowledge on to you. Maybe I'll even learn something. What you're about to hear is the first show we ever recorded on October 28th, 2020, The Demo Show. We decided to release a few episodes right away so you can dive in from day one. Some of the discussion around Robinhood and new investors into the market and all the market activity. It almost sounds like prophecy in hindsight. So for what it's worth, you can see if Richie and Eric turned out to be right or wrong. I hope you enjoy the show. And if you get something out of it, be sure to tell a friend and subscribe for future episodes. Welcome to the Monkey Business Show. I'm your humble anchor and host, Aaron Hodges, along with the stars and the faces of Monkey Business Worldwide, Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett. Spent a lot of time on Wall Street. You know the good, bad, and ugly of the financial world. Many moons ago, you guys were featured regular guests on a show that I helped produce on Sirius XM Radio called Stand Up with Pete Dominic. Now I guess we're getting the band back together with a podcast. So uh, welcome, fellas. Yeah. Welcome to the first show. Thank, Thank you, Aaron. You. Great to be back. And may I just say, looking at you, that we you, first of all, you're always a kid to us. You're you're still 28 <laughs> years old, um, but uh, you look great. And um, yeah, we're getting the band back together. Here it. it is, and I see that Richie, you wore your your best Hawaiian shirt today, so I, that's nice. I did. Special I, um, occasion. Well, I'm in Florida now. I used to live in New York as when we used to do the show with you guys on Stand Up With Pete. And I've been to, in Florida for six years. So what we, we don't really wear suits down in Florida, but this is my like Magnum P.I. kind of thing. So I'm not in Hawaii for those who follow the show, Magnum P.I. But I am in Florida and I do wear these shirts and I like to wear them. And um, we're going to have a big local following Texas and Florida. Okay. Because Eric is now in Texas. Go I've, ahead. Been, I've been in Texas for basically Rich and I were kicked out of New York State a few years ago. Chased <laughs> <laughs> by a mob. Florida, I relocated to San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we got to get into that story at some point for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. But Richie, um, have you seen The Irishman? I have. Because right now it feels like, you know, I'm Jimmy Hoffa's character. Very, very insulted that you showed up in a Hawaiian shirt. Yes. And I'm, I will pay for that. I will pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> so Richie and I, just a little background. Richie and I met uh, on a trading floor back in um, 1997, Richie? 97? I think it was earlier. Early, maybe 96. 96 or 95. And and to admit, Richie, I was a relatively junior guy, just got on the, the trading desk in another area, and, and Richie sat catacorn for me, and Richie was the hot shot. Richie was this hot shot trader that we just hired from Bear Stearns. Was. And, uh, was. And that, <laughs> flames. Flames. And that's, where, and that's where we met, and... Um, you know, our careers went on and, and we used to, what used to happen, Richie and I used to just, Bloomberg, Bloomberg was a tool that everybody uses on, on Wall Street. That, that's how Mike Bloomberg, who had about a, what, a two-week a two run for the presidency, 
Um, yeah. That's where Mike made his fifty billion, and it's a and so we used to Bloomberg joking back and forth all day long. We were at different firms now, and we always said we should have our own show. And lo and behold, um, Richie, uh, you retired right in the two thousand seven. Right. Um, I was designated for assignment by my firm, um, but and uh, we both decided we thought the world was ending. Like we thought the Wall Street thing was done. So we decided, you know what? Let's write a blog. <laughs> uh, so we started writing a blog, and from the blog, a lot of things happened. One of them was was the show that you used to uh, that you used to produce. We got into TV, and we uh, we became. Uh, creators and co-executive producers of a show that ran on uh, Animal Planet for nine years called Taint. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, uh, that was a good one. And and yeah. the funny part is people always ask, you know, how did you go from Wall Street to TV? Well, Eric and I, in our blog, couldn't believe the Monkey Business blog. We used to go to this Bond conference out in Vegas every year, and it was the hugest thing. And back in 2007 to 2008, the world is blowing up, right? It's just blowing up sky high. Financial crisis, bailouts, big firms going bust. And we couldn't believe they still were holding this bond conference in Vegas. So we it's said like we a multi, multi-million dollar conference. I mean, the, the, the Bellagio always and everything to the night. Everything was packed. And, and it, it was, was a, like Wall Street people everywhere. It was a, it was a gigantic Roman toga party for you know like an entire week of just yeah and it's crazy it was all the subprime guys and all like all that whole thing that blew everything up that's what this conference was would you say that's uh, equivalent to holding a giant rally in the middle of a pandemic yes yes, yes. I would <laughs> that, that was pretty much however however what we found because of course our angle always is to create a little levity in the, every situation that's bad. Sure. We had a film crew come out with the boom mics and the whole bit. And we were going through these cavernous casino, uh, you know, meeting rooms. And there's nobody there, even though they had the conference. Oh, wow. Nobody was allowed to go. Wow. Like, because nobody had any budgets. So we laughed hysterically about that, right? We, we cut it into. Funny, it was funny. Some people did show up. Because you remember yes. we were standing outside the bar, we had a we had the camera, and a couple of guys knew knew both of us, and they're like, "Hey, Ben, Salt, hey!" And they started coming across the street, and all of a sudden they saw like a microphone and a camera, like. <laughs> so now you guys are the star of the show, the whole conference. So we were we were trying to do you know man on the street interviews, yeah. woman on the street interviews. You know we right. were like, "Hey, let's get let's get people going." However, again with our creativity side. We had a segment where we were going to show a fellow who was a little overweight. Well, he was a lot of overweight. And we were going to put him in a Batman outfit. <laughs> okay, And we promised him a steak dinner to get him in a Batman outfit. And he was going to be, and he was, Captain Concrete. Because in his real life, he did sell concrete to the hotel industry. So you can imagine when the world is blowing up, how... Not a lot of concrete is being sold because there's not a lot of building going. But then we made him into a superhero, Captain Concrete, saving the, the housing market one brick at a time. <laughs> so we asked Cap, we actually went to Captain Concrete's uh, place of work. We built the whole story around, you know, mild mannered Joel was the, was the regular guy. We're all wearing hard hats. We got the film crew going. Everything's good. 
And we get him to say, yeah, I know somebody because we asked him, do you know anybody that's rich in Vegas? And he goes, you remember my boy, Brett? And I'm like, I almost passed out. I was like, Brett's rich? He goes, goes, no, but his dad is. Oh, will he let us film at your house? Sure, sure. So here we are, Monkey Business Blog, doing funny things. We're like, this is great. This is exactly what we want, you know, trying to create this kind of stuff. We leave the house. We do the filming. We, for for Captain, Captain Concrete, Brett emerges from the back with a DVD. Like, hey, you guys know people in TV. Can you help me oh out? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're like, okay. TV. <laughs> okay. So we look at the video and he's dropping names like it's going out of style. Like A-list name, Steven Spielberg. Like, So I'm like, get this guy on the phone. Like, dude. And what it is, he had watched American Choppers. And he said, my family is like American Choppers but we make fish tanks. Well, we were in his house. I don't know. They're big. And they had these beautiful built in aquariums everywhere. And we were kind of like, what's with the tent? What's with all the fish tanks? And he's like, that's, that's our family business. He came out. He goes, I've had an idea for a show about us, you know, for the last year, we gave it to this other production company. They haven't done shit with it. Quickers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and sure, and sure. they haven't done anything with it. <laughs> and their time is up. You guys want to give it a shot. And we're like, sure. We got nothing to lose. And from that point on, we, it probably took us two years, right, Richie? It probably took us two years. From, from that point to get it on the air. But in three weeks to a month, we had feelers. Like, we were shocked. We were laughing. We were like, people try to get on television their whole lives, and we're just messing around one day. Show this DVD out, and they're like, you got something here. We were looking for something like that. I was like, you're looking for a fish tank show? They're like, they're like yeah. And we as it turns out, we know what, what the reason for those successful run, that successful run was the chemistry amongst the family and the antagonists, the, you know, the, yeah, the filming, the, 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 the aquariums were a sideline. You know, it was just about the family and the interactions, which was great. And it was a great run. And uh, we and it ended and now we now we have to get back to work. So, right. But, but um, we were close before the pandemic hit. There was some. uh kind of executive changes at the network and we were pretty close to getting back on. Oh yeah. We the show like a, it was going to be a one year hiatus because they never, they never said, Hey, this is the final season of tank. Hey, this is our farewell show. Hey, you know, and they have 150 episodes or something like that. Who knows? Maybe there's still hope. We'll there see. may be, but we're going to go in this direction now back <laughs> to, uh, back <laughs> to our. Permitting. Yeah. So that brings us to present day. What's going yeah. on with you guys now? So we got the big election coming up, right? You know, it's less than two weeks. And uh, the market's all over the place. People just, you know, I, honestly, a month and a half ago, I thought that the, I thought we were going to have a civil war. I thought <laughs> after, after November 3rd, it was just going to be riot, you know, riots in the streets and contested election. And now I'm not so I, I think it's going to be OK. Um, a lot less uh, fearful than I was. Um, a month and a half ago, but uh, you know, so a lot of a lot of trading going on in the market right now in equities. And I know, uh, especially a lot of you kids now. We'll talk about this in a bit. The kids are doing a lot of a lot of stock trading now. Richie trades all day. Richie's uh, yeah, that that's very. Yeah, I, never, I never really left trading per se. I, you know, I, I left doing it for somebody else, but now I 
I'm pretty much what you would consider a day trader. So, you know, I trade my own account. Some of my wife's, well, my wife trades some too and yells at me when I mess up and she <laughs> does better. <laughs> Sorry. I take, I, what, I, I go. See, Richie, what, are you, what are you seeing right now? What do you, what do you like? What, what don't you like? <laughs> well, you see what's, what's, what is interesting. There was a lot of chatter around, um, a V-shaped recovery in the economy, right? And that probably, it looked like it might have happened. So talking about when everything just imploded in March of 2020, when the virus came in and shut everything down and the world looked like it was just over. And it took about, I don't know, six weeks maybe for everything to kind of like just start turning on a dime. And even though there's been a lot of, there's still a lot of unemployment out there. So the jobs aren't all back. And obviously in certain parts of the country, a lot of things are still closed. Right. But what has happened in the stock market, there has been a V meaning it started up here it went all the way down here. And now in six months, it's back up here and people are amazed. And a lot of people have missed out, you know, like, like they didn't believe They're like, why, why would I buy stocks like this? If the world is ending, like who, who is who's yeah, buying these stocks? Yeah. I got my hand up because I'm one of the guys who missed out. Um, the smart guy who missed out and, and Richie, I remember Richie and I were sitting there maybe April, maybe April, mm. maybe. And we're going, who in the hell is buying? They're buying Hertz. Hertz just declared bankruptcy a week ago, and somebody's buying buying Hertz. They're buying J.C. Penney. They're buying the airlines. They're buying the cruise lines. They're buying casinos, hotels. Everything that is just getting wiped out is coming back, and it's leading this recovery in the stock market. And we honestly didn't know what was going on. We didn't know who was buying. No, and like, let's go. We can we can go with that because we're going to tell you who some of the people who are buying in a second, but just a few ideas that I threw out there that, that I think of right now. Um, I did buy, uh, not early on, but I bought a company called Boyd Gaming. BYD is the ticker. B is in boy, Y is in yellow, D is in David. What they are is a local casino operator in Vegas, some of the towns in the South, some of the towns in the Midwest, pretty big operation, but they're not the glitzy Bellagio, Mirage, you know, Steve Wynn properties that attract like the big money. The reason I went through that was because I figured people are still going to have problems in the beginning, certainly getting on an airplane to go. So most of these high-end casinos count on air travel right. to get the people to Vegas or China or wherever. Boyd has a lot of local people. So the people that work at the casinos, they're the ones that go visit the Boyd Gaming casinos on their own. You know, they don't work at the Boyd Gaming places, but they might work at the Bellagio and then they have a good time and they make them very friendly, you know, like, but everybody can drive. That was the key. And that thing has done well. It's done very well. It's bounced from like 22, it's at 34 now and I still have it. Um, people talk about the infrastructure bills that are, may happen with either side, right? So we might get a, a big stimulus bill, which is going to help infrastructure. I think even more so with Biden, if he were to get elected, I think he's going to slap a big, big infrastructure bill down. And especially if he's got the, you know, Senate and the House, they're going to push that thing through. And these, so these infrastructure stocks 
are pretty good. I, one of the companies I really like is called United Rental, URI. And they don't necessarily move things like a John Deere or a Caterpillar. You know, you see these big excavation things and bulldozers. But United Rental rents out. They're U-Haul, right? Yeah, they're, they're part of they're – they're not U-Haul, but they're like U-Haul for trucks, and, and equipment. So if you got if you got this small business that does that has four trucks, but they have enough business now to do eight eight different jobs, they go to United Rental and borrow. And so that one's done pretty well too. So that's kind of telling you, you know, maybe hey, this is this is something that we should look at. We're not afraid either to talk. You know, where, where we got hot back the last time was because we called the market to go down big time. Like we said, the world is pretty much ending and it almost did. Right. And that that's where people started reading the blog, understanding the blog. Like, like man, these guys are, are on it. Talking about 2007, 2008. Yeah. Back back in the, the finance. Now and the big difference it, it, it just changed everything is that right now, all the big central banks of the world, the Federal Reserve here, the European Central Bank, Bank of England, uh, the Bank of Japan. They just have, for the last decade now, they don't let the market go down. When they see huge, like a, if the if the Federal Reserve didn't step in in March of 2020, and remember they stepped in once, and what and a and a action they took if they did that ten years ago, the market would have just you know exploded higher and everything would have been great. They came out and basically said, "Hey, we're going to buy about you know." I think it was something like 200 billion bonds a month of mortgages and treasury bonds. It's called quantitative easing. They said that on a Sunday night and the market crashed because the market's like, that's not enough. And they came back the next week and essentially said, we're buying everything. Like they didn't necessarily they're going to buy everything. They're not going to buy, you know, a, a, you know, a, a Japanese perfume company, you know, in in Peoria. Who's saying buy everything? The Fed, the Federal Reserve. So you got um, Jay Powell, who's the who's the, the go. He he runs. He's the, the chairman of Federal Reserve. And also, what they did is they got together with Treasury, right? So the Fed can't the Fed can't invest in a, a company, right? They can't go and bail out Richie's company, but the Treasury can. So what what happened was that basically they became like a hedge fund, essentially. The Treasury was the hedge fund and the bank was, I'm sorry, the Treasury provided the capital to allow the bank, to the Federal Reserve to go out and support all these different types of assets, municipal bonds, uh, corporate bonds, even bonds. Yeah, bonds that were some junk, you know, high yield bonds, more risky bonds too. Um, And what happened is the market perceived that the Fed has our back. They're not going to let this thing go down, which you know, it has its own repercussions, right? Because now no one is ever going to be ready for risk if it ever happens and, and the Fed doesn't do anything, right? The Fed is kind of locked into this thing where they, they have to do things now. They have to support the markets. So they supported the markets through their own policy. Treasury came in, you know, the CARES Act, and and it, 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 it turned things around. But a lot of what turned it around really was, was what the Fed came in and did uh, in the middle of March 2013. I'm sorry, th- March 2020. And is that more or less sustain the market? Yes. The market is, so much of the market right now is about, um, you know, feel and about and, and then about emotion. And 
people feel comfortable taking risks because, and, and, and let's face it, the CARES Act also, a lot of stimulus in the economy, people did start coming back to work. So the economy did improve somewhat. I think it's still in really bad shape. And without a stimulus, another stimulus relief bill, it's going to be in really bad shape again. But it basically brought things back from the edge where we should be right now. If the Fed and the Treasury didn't do anything, we'd, we'd, we'd have bread lines. We do have bread lines, actually. We just don't see them on TV too much anymore. But we, we would be like, it would be like 1931 around here. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I know nothing. Explain to me the moron of the show. There's the argument between the, is the stock market the economy? You know, people disagree on whether or not it is, if it's reflective of what's actually going on. And for me, that's not, you know, an insider on this stuff. I'm going like, okay, the market tanked because everything went to hell. How does it come back up if unemployment is still really awful? People are being driven into poverty. Where's the disconnect there? Does it feels like it's almost an artificial market? It's, it's usually a, a good barometer when you look at stocks to think of it as a picture in the future, meaning six to nine months from now is really what the market is telling you. Okay. So, so when it started to turn in April, March and April, it was telling you that w- there would be some improvement by October. Like, and so here, here in October, if we're in October, now if the market is kind of moving sideways, which it is, right? And yes, the election and all that stuff is is important. But what it's really telling you is, hmm, we don't know how we're going to be in six to nine months. Otherwise, it'd be rocketing again. You know, and, and so people are scared. One thing to remember, though, is that what most people don't know is that they, we talk about the S&P 500. That generally and the NASDAQ. And that's generally what you see on the evening news. What did it go up? Did it go down? Obviously, it's come all the way back. I mean, the NASDAQ's up 30 percent of the year. And not. Not 30% from where it was when in, at the bottom, but thir- they have a 30% gain for the year right, right now. The S&P 500 is a, it was called a, it's a, it's a way, it's a market weighted index. So the most valuable companies by taking the number of shares they have outstanding and multiplying by the stock price, that's what tells you that Amazon is worth a trillion dollars. Well, five stocks make up 20% of the S&P 500. Five stocks. Five. Five. So it's Microsoft, it's Google, it's Amazon, it's Facebook, and uh, forgetting one. But those guys, now think about it, those guys, they print money, right? Think of like a, a Microsoft. I mean, how many people really, I'm sorry, I left Apple, of course. How many people does Apple really employ, you know, that, that make good money? And in the United States, not that many, right? They don't pay any taxes. They make boatloads of money. Micro- and now you've got this pandemic where everyone's like, you know, tech, tech has become so much more important. We're doing Zoom right now. This is how I do business now. It's all Zoom. I don't travel. It's all this. Microsoft, you need more. St- th- those companies are doing very well. They're doing extremely well, not only in the stock prices, but the fact that they are they're printing money right now. So when you see the market going up like this, there's a big disconnect, even even with a, the, the most popular index, the 500, because like I said, five stocks have gone up 80, 85 percent from the from where they went down in, in, in March. 
And the other guys kind of eventually they follow along, right? Because you see the S&P going up, you buy exchange traded funds like spot, you, you buy, you know, the, the, the public buys that stuff and you're buying the whole index. So the whole index gets brought up with these other guys. But a lot of these companies are not in good shape. And a lot, and, and if you do the math that way, right? So five companies are, are, are worth 20%, but the S&P is up a little bit this year, right? In 2020. So there's got to be a lot of companies that are still down. So you still have like the energy companies. They are a mess, like a mess. They are down like 50%. Banks, bank stocks, horrible, like horrible. So it's not a everything is shiny and great story. It's like a few specific names have flown so high. And if you were lucky enough to have them, then you're in good shape. But if you're not, which a lot of people are not, you know, they're like, ooh, this isn't so good stuff. Well, I guess in that way, this, the market does reflect the economy. Yeah, yeah, it will. It'll always, I mean, it, sometimes it takes a while for it to click in, but it'll always go. The other thing that when Eric says the, the uh, S&P is dominated by five stocks, the valuations of some of these tech companies as a whole is about the same. And they keep, for a lot of people that are younger that weren't involved back when old guys like us were, they keep talking about the dot-com era. And that was in 99 and 2000 when things blew sky high, like down. The NASDAQ, where all the tech stocks were, lost 50% and it took years, years for it to come back. So when you see stuff like this going on, you still got a pandemic, you got, you know, marching in the streets. And, and if this thing crashes, it could be significant, right? And that's what scares people because they've, they've seen it before. A lot of investors have been, you know, and we'll, there's, well, we're going to talk about another, another class of investors that has come in to the market. Maybe this will segue into one of our topics. Take us there. Yeah, <laughs> let's go there. So when Richie and I were talking, we were talking about like, who in the hell is buying JC Penny? Like, I, who's buying Hertz? The, the stock was trading at 50 cents because they had just declared bankruptcy. And within a week, it was trading at $5. Like, who's doing this? And in the meantime, I got sons. And, and my 20-year-old my college, he was home from college because they closed it, you know, with the pandemic. He's telling all of his buddies are on this, this new app called Robinhood. And they're, all, and they're all trading. And, God, they're making a fortune. I'm like, what are they doing? Oh, they buy, and he's telling me the stocks that he's named, the airlines, casino. I'm like, Jared, like, this is, like, these guys have, like, they're not going to come back for years. What? And I got the, you know, the basic 20 year old, the dad, well, how, how do you know, dad? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're down 20%. My friends are up 80%. You know, like, that. I'm really put Robin Hood, Robin Hood in my crosshairs. <laughs> so now they're, they're the target yeah, of I, your score because your son was right, taunting you. Right. As we like to quote the Godfather, right? It is, it, it is now personal and business. It became personal for me. But, but Robinhood is is a really it, it's a diabolical phenomenon. It's really if you look, if you step back and you just look at it, it's brilliant. I mean, it's I mean, it's horrible. I think, but it's brilliant. And what Robinhood did, I, I, I is. And they were in business before the pandemic. 
And I, you know, I think they were doing okay. But once the pandemic hit and they've got this app on your phone that you do a trade and, and, and you balloons and confetti come out and, you know, and it's telling you like, like if you want to trade options on stock, right. And you're a 20 year old kid, you open up an E-Trade account and people on Robin have told me kids, I've talked to these kids. And why did you go to Robin on this? Well, because E-Trade made me jump through a million hoops to, to trade options. You have to, you have to kind of prove that you know what you're doing. You've been in the market, you're, you know, you're out of whatever. Yeah, it's, it's for experienced only traders should be trading there's options. Rules. There's yeah. rules. <laughs> um, and Robinhood doesn't have any rules. Like Robinhood was like, come on, yeah, trade options, trade options. So all these kids are like, like I can buy the stock or I can buy this option. <laughs> you know, the option only costs, you know, cost me 2000 buying the stock, you know, for 2000, I get action on, you know, on a hundred shares of a hundred shares of, of Google. Um, so it's basically like steroids or crack. Right. That's and what it is. So I'm like, wow, what's, what, what, what's going on here? And I started digging in and you started seeing, well, you know, you start reading about Robin Hood and, and, and you start seeing what they're, what they're based off. And this is going to be, they're trying to, it's complicated. And that's why most, because Robin Hood tells all of their clients, all their customers, they don't charge fees. You trade for free. And the only thing we charge on is we, we, if you, if you open up an, mar- an option account, you got to put money on margin and we, we, we charge you for, for interest and things like that. But we, that's how we make our money. Right. And you go, great. Why, why don't I want to be on, on E-Trade if I could do this, if I could trade for free here? Well, you're not, not nothing. There's no way that this company, which is now, it's a private company, but they're, they're worth, people think they're worth about a billion dollars. I'm sorry, $11 billion to $12 mm-hmm. billion. Now, they got to be making money somewhere. And the way they make their money um, is all of the, uh, all of the big e- brokerages, the E-Trades, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, they all sell what's called they they take if you they direct orders guy wants to buy a stock or sell a stock you move it they they sell it to high frequency traders they move that those orders and if you ever michael lewis's book flash boys that's what he's talking about so these guys are the sharpest cats out there right they have super high speed algorithms and essentially what they do is one of the things they do is they front run, meaning that you want to buy something and in, in less in fractions of a second, they know to get in ahead of you, buy it up and then sell it to you at a penny more. Yeah. You, your, your price gets higher. Your price is higher. You just don't know it because it happened. It happened in less in, in the blink of an eye. It happened. So these guys are like, you remember office space where they make, you know, Michael Bolton makes the, you know, they're going to, they're going to take pennies out of the company every, you know, every day. They're going to take a penny, take a penny. And, um, and, and eventually they'll end up with a billion dollars in about five years. And <laughs> he screwed it up and they, they had $300,000 the first day because he got a decimal wrong. Well, that's what these guys do. It's just, you know, billions of dollars of transactions go through them and they just take a penny here, take a penny there, take, you know, take uh, options, take 15 cents there and they make, they make a fortune. And so the reality is Robin hood made 
in the first half of 2020, they made $271 million. You know, there's firms like it. We'll get into these firms in a minute. Stop us anytime if you want to. But these firms paid Robinhood $271 million for their customer order flow. So when my son makes a trade, that trade ends up at one of these big market makers. And that's how they make their money. They just got fined. Um, I think it's $10 million. They were just fined by the SEC because they didn't disclose this. They didn't tell when they told when they told their, their customers how they made their money, they conveniently left out about 80% of how they make their money, which is doing this. So, so I mean, that does end up being passed on to the customer, those fees. Absolutely. In the, in the form of probably worse prices, but to get out of the technical a little bit, like a man, so you're Robin, right? <laughs> Robin from the you know, Robin from the rich to give to the poor. Right. Well, this is like if the sheriff of Nottingham, Nottingwood, Nottingham, the sheriff of Nottingham Forest, <laughs> if he got into a Robin Hood costume and let all the poor, the poor village folk, like, come on, and basically let them into like a workhouse. That's what this is. These guys are the complete opposite. They launched this thing that, hey, it's got this great app and it's fun, and but also that they, they their goal is that, hey, you know, we want to democratize trading. Everybody should be allowed to trade. Well, no, that's not true. But you know, everybody, you you shouldn't be prohibited from doing anything. Why do you say and that? That's not true. There's a certain expertise that you need. The the amount of kids that came onto this site, and then you've got you know Barstool Sports. You got Dave Portnoy, um, you know, big big influencer. He's you know, when they didn't have any sports to do. One of the big things was watching Dave on on his. Dave's podcast is basically Dave trading <laughs> and he's hysterical, but Dave's got a hundred million dollars, right? So Dave can, Dave, Dave drops a million. It's not, you know, it's, it's because he couldn't drop a million in Vegas because he can't go there and he couldn't bet, you know, couldn't do sports betting. So what you got to think about here is again, let's get back and then we'll get into these firms that, that buy this from you. If I pay you a dollar for Aaron's trade for Aaron, you know, you, you go in and you you, you want to buy a stock, call out an order, market order, and it gets routed to a company called Citadel. That's a big company called Citadel, big, big Wall Street firm. If they're paying a dollar for that, then you know it's worth it's worth more than a dollar to them. They're, they're not doing this for free. They're not, they're not doing it to democratize anything either. They, they, they say they're creating liquidity and making the market more efficient. That's debatable. But what's not debatable is if they're paying a dollar, your trade is worth more than a dollar. And the only way that's possible is if they're making money off of it somehow. Now, take that a step further. If Citadel is paying um, TD Ameritrade a dollar for Aaron's trade, and Citadel is paying uh, Robinhood $2 for Aaron's same trade, then why on earth is that that trade flow worth a dollar more? In other words, if I'm going to buy two dollars, then it's worth more than two dollars for that. That's huge, right? You got to start thinking and saying somebody's making a lot of money here. Why? Why is their why is their trading flow worth a lot more than everybody else? It's because the way that they get compensated is against the customer. The trade starts out against the customer. So you're you're paying 
And it might not look like a lot to you, but you're paying top dollar for something that's sold down the street at a much bigger discount. And just just because you're on that Robinhood app and the little confetti flies around and you think <laughs> it's cool and like you're and they got people hoodwinked into that and they're just addicted. And, and like Eric said, with the sports betting, that helped them hugely because kids don't bet 50 bucks on the on the game anymore. They're like, oh, I can just buy Apple stock. OK, I can buy Apple options and they go up. Look at that. So they don't care. Right. But it always ends in tears. It always ends in tears. These what? Things. You know, what you what's starting to what people start to see now, and, and some of the kids are starting to get upset, is that you start realizing. So, and I know this is it's very technical, but it's it's important. The two guys who who created Robinhood, um, Vladimir Tenyev and Bahu Bot, they met at Stanford in, in the early two thousands, and they created Robinhood. As this, hey, we're these granola-eating, sandal-wearing dudes. We're not Wall Street guys. <laughs> we're here to make you know make the world better for everybody. Well, before they started Robinhood in 2012 or 13, guess what these guys did? They were, in fact, Wall Street guys. They were high, high, high-frequency trading engineers. Like, these are the propeller heads who make the super-fast algorithms and stuff to to rip you off, to step in front of you and take that and take that penny. So they've been That's developing Robin Hood their whole career. Yes. yes. And now what they, they do, hone their skills. They hone their skills at the uh, at the other places. They and they know they know what's more valuable to and we're picking on Citadel, but we'll because well, we can have some fun with Citadel. But <laughs> they know what's more valuable to they know how to structure it so it's worth more to these guys that buy this flow. We're talking about, you know, billions and billions of dollars. The flow, just Robinhood, um, the, the, the flow from Robinhood just in the first half of uh, 2002 was about $90 billion of stock transactions were sold to these high-frequency traders. Sold meaning that the orders were done through them and the pennies were taken. And that's how Robinhood got paid $271 million. Now, what these guys have done is they've essentially built a mousetrap, a fantastic mousetrap. And they bring people, and now with the way they, and the way they marketed it, you know, with the app and the ease of trading, allowing a lot of people to trade options that really don't know what they're doing, um, which they make more money selling the option flow than they do on, on, on just trading the stock flow. They make a lot more. In fact, Robinhood made, I'm just looking at it now. They made 63% of that 271 they made on options, meaning call, option to buy or option to sell, Tesla, Google, all these. The, the crack and the steroids that I was talking about before. So supercharged trades for people that are probably inexperienced. You know how that ends, right? It never ends well. Never ends well. Because as a natural feeling, if you keep making money over months and months, do you ever stop? Do, do you really ever stop? Like, and it's it's especially... It'd be one thing if this happened a lot in February and these guys lost their asses and they were like out of money or whatever. And they're like, I, that was dumb. But it's been the opposite effect, because for the most part, since these guys have really charged up and traded on Robinhood, everything's, you know, at least those five main stocks, which are very popular in Robinhood, have 
steadily increase. So they're like, this is, this is free money. This is easy. This is, this is better than, this is better than sports. Like I, I would lose the three team parlay on Sundays all the time. I, I am winning. <laughs> and, and, and Portnoy, Portnoy, the guy from Barstow sports actually came out in April and said, I think Warren Buffett's time is done. Yeah. Right. He's old. I'm the new cat. Sure. Like it, this, this is easy. Yeah. And all these lemmings that read his website are like, bro, I got to get into the options market. How do I get a Robinhood account? Put 50 yeah. bucks in there. Yeah, yeah. They're rolling. But to give you an idea, why do I call it a mousetrap? Because while all this is going on, Robinhood, just literally a couple of weeks ago, somebody hacked into 2,000 accounts at Robinhood, took personal information, all kinds of stuff. And when people called, or look to call, who do I call at Robinhood to, to report this? There's no number. There's no <laughs> customer support. Accounts, I think a month ago, people had their accounts looted. Like they had $10,000 in the account and it's gone. They don't know where it is. And they call Robinhood. We'll get back to you. It, and I think they get, we'll get back to you on, a, on an email, which yeah. is probably like a, you know. Um, so in the meantime, here's some confetti. Yeah, right. <laughs> like this is what there's there's not. I don't know how a a brokerage could exist, and the SEC says you got to have at least some customer support if there's a, if there's a problem. But here's a sad story, and the sad story took place during this time during the pandemic during the the craze. Was a uh, a student? I believe it was a student uh, at the. I think he's from Illinois. He was a student at the University of Nebraska. And this kid, um, he sold, but he, he did a trade that if as long as Amazon didn't go down a certain level, like this, let's say the stock was at 2000, he said he, he sold an, an option position that said that if the stock goes down 10%, I lose. Otherwise, if it goes up or stays the same, I make, I, I get paid to do this trade. So I make money. And what happened is this, the trade went against him. He lost. But he only should have lost about, I think the most he could have lost was about $14,000, which is a lot, but he, had that, that he would have had his account wiped out, nothing more. His account statement showed him on a Friday when this happened that he had a negative $700,000 balance. In, his, in other words, he owed $700,000 what he thought. The kid threw himself in front of a train. Kill himself. Jesus. How could that how, how could that happen? Well, how could that happen? Because it's the same assholes who don't you know, who have their accounts loaded. They they fucked up. They basically sent them half of the they sent them one half of the trade, which is like, yeah, you got Amazon coming in, but it's gonna go right back out because he his trade limited his losses. He didn't know that and they said, Oh shit, they I think they I swear I think this happened. On Monday they corrected it. Kid was dead. Killed himself over the weekend, and he basically wrote a note and he said, I, I, "He goes, I can't. He goes, I just don't understand how Robinhood would allow somebody like me to get themselves into this much trouble. Like, how could I possibly have been given the license to lose seven hundred thousand dollars? He thought he bankrupted his. He thought his future was over. He thought he bankrupted his family, and it was just a kind of accounting mistake. It was, it was the statement was incorrect, and this guy, this kid, killed himself." And, you know, like Richie's talking, 
these guys haven't stopped trading. You know, they're, they're still out there buying, you know, calls on Google and naked and they lose, they lose 10,000 bucks. So it's still going on. And if this market ever crashes, Remember, you know, you're a lot of kids that, you know, instead of betting, taking in, in the, in the points for 50 bucks, <laughs> you know, they took Google and do that for, you know, for 10, 10, 15 grand. And that's that. And but, it, it's pretty, um, like I keep saying, crack and steroids. It's one thing when you do options, there's usually an expiration date, which a lot of these kids bet for like a month, meaning whatever bet they make in a month, it has to happen or they lose. And what's happened, fortunately for them, a lot of those trades have worked, right? Oh, it went up in a month. This is awesome. So if it crashes, that money ain't coming back. It's not like a stock where you can keep it forever, right? Like, so the people that back in February who of 2020 who are losing their asses and they just sat there in stock trades, just regular stocks, not options, and just did nothing, they're up this year. They're winning. The kids, if the kids did that trading options in February, poof, it's gone forever. The money is gone. Boom. Can't get it back. Option expired worthless. They don't understand that because they haven't seen the, the losses yet. Right. So you're saying that you guys are pretty sure that that's coming. Yeah, it, it always does. It can't, it can't lose forever. I mean, this is nuts. Here's a good, here's a good example. So they, the two things they talk about a lot of times is Tina, not the girl f- from down the block, but there is no alternative. T-I-N-A. Okay. Meaning 10 years treasury bonds. If you just want to be safe, they're paying 1.75% or sorry, 0. 0.8%, 0.75%. It's meaning less income. Than that's less than 1%. Yeah. If you buy that button. Can I get one second? Because I want to get back to my, my rotten son. So <laughs> this is how this all started. He, he was delivering pizzas um, when he kind of, you know, he came back from school. And he, so he's, you know, delivering pizzas and stuff. And he had, he had some money coming in. And he said, Dad, my, my check's going to come in. The last check's going to come to the house. It's about 1000 bucks. I'll be back in a month. Can you do something with that money? I said, what do you mean do something? He goes, can you make more? Can you make me some money on that? And I said, do you want all of it back at the, at, in 30 days? And he goes, yeah. Said, all right. Well, then if you want a risk-free trade, I, I, could inve- I could invest it in what Richie's talking about. And when you come back, you'll have about $1,000 and a Starbucks gift card for the skinny latte. Whatever, right? <laughs> Maybe. Not, probably and not even. Where, and that's where this little bastard – Turns to me and he goes, "Just that." I was like, "Cause my friends are making, they made six hundred dollars last week on one trade." I'm like, "So yeah, that, that's again why we hate Robin Hood." So, yeah. but it's, it's the just, it's the allure of that possibility right. that's drawing right. that's drawing people in. Let's get back to the the really the grand yeah. scheme that our children, our children are going are being put into. They, they they got done bankrupting all the different generations. Now they're bankrupting the children, right? You see how. So, what? Let's talk about the other. Okay, so Robinhood, Robinhood sells. It's called payment for order flow. All you got to know is they sell it. They make money. They make more money than everybody else. They're selling them. Their flow is worth more. Well, Citadel is 
they are a closely held company, but they are a powerhouse Wall Street firm. And at the same time, as Robinhood's income like quadrupled in a half a year, Citadel doubled their, and Citadel makes a lot of money. Citadel made $2.6 million in this first half of, in the first half of, of 2002. With a beat. With a beat. They doubled, they doubled. And this, this is a firm that makes a lot of money, do a lot of things. Like no one was saying when they were making $1.3 billion that they were doing bad. They were doing very good. And we'll get to Ken Griffin in a second. But 2.6, it mirrors, literally, and I know there was a lot of trading, it mirrors Robinhood's explosion in their volume and the amount of money they were paying. So this is a company that was set up by two guys who know exactly what the game is, knew exactly who to get, who to who to bring in, how to bullshit them with the no fees and how to market this, and then who to go to. And it's not just Citadel, there's other firms that you just wouldn't know that Wolverine and Virtu and Susquehanna, you wouldn't no one's gonna know. But they're in this game too, but Citadel's the biggest. Citadel buys like 60% of all of Robin Hood's um, order flow. Ken Griffin, Richie, how much how much personal real estate, I mean homes where he can live. Does Ken Griffin own? What is it in, in the dollar amount? He, I, I don't know the total dollar amount. I'm assuming he wasn't homeless before the last 18 months. <laughs> but in the last 18 months, 18 months, he has personally bought $1 billion, with a B. Personal real estate. Well, he can live. Like, not I bought a hotel and a casino. He bought. No, that's his house. He's got like. The most expensive apartment in Manhattan. He's got the most expensive mansion in Miami. He's got, you know, and if these kids saw this, they don't even know who he is, right? They're like, if you didn't hear this story, how would you know who? They're like, ah, oh, Ken Griffin, Wall Street guy. You're paying him, bro. Oh, I don't pay anything, bro. I pay zero fees. Right. Yeah. Good luck with that, bro. You do enough trades, you get a night and a dinner at his Miami and mansion. Remember, and remember this, again, like I said before, Right now, Robin Hood is owned by, well, the two guys who built it, and then a lot of these sharp, sharp VC venture capital cats out in Silicon Valley. And they're valuing these guys at $11.7 billion last time I saw. So they're investing too, and these guys aren't dopes. Like, they, how are you making your money, and how are you making more money at it than any of these? Like, how do you make money on a telephone app that really just got going in the last few years? How do you make more money than E-Trade? A lot more money than E-Trade. How do you make in the online? How do you how do you make more money than, than Charles Schwab? What's the answer? Like, what they've done is they are sharing in the money that gets made by these high frequency trades on each individual trade. Each individual trade, and here's what uh, here's how it happens. All the other guys. Now, they don't make, on an absolute basis, they don't make more money than TD Ameritrade. They're the biggest. But if you look at it per share or per option that they, they slide over to these high-frequency guys, they charge, they, they get paid more, a lot more on stocks and a little more on options. Then the next highest guy, TD Ameritrade. Every one of these guys, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, and E-Trade, name the, let's call it the big three, they get paid based on volume. They get paid. It has nothing to do. At, oh, and we'll get to this in a second. So they get paid 
If I send a thousand shares over, depending on what type of an order it is, I get paid based on that volume, right? It's a volume trade. And then the market maker, which is Ken Griffin or these other firms, they make markets, right? So they make markets. I'll, I'll buy at 20, I'll sell at 20 and five cents. That's, that's their market. That's how they make their money. And that's what a market maker does. The way that Robinhood gets paid is they get paid on the bid offer. They get paid on the spread, which is how the high frequency trader gets, makes his money. So think about it. They are incented to, to feed these guys and feed them really at the worst possible market, especially when it gets to options where there's no rules. There's no rules, right? At least with stocks, you have to, they, they, we have to be, it's called national best bid, best offer, meaning that everybody reports into the tape as trading days go on. And these guys even have to get the best bid or the best, whatever the best bid and the best offer was. And you take them, you take a, that spread and a percentage of that spread. That's how Robinhood gets paid. So when they start going to guys, so they're, they're incented to find, especially when it comes to options or more illiquid stocks, they're more incented to find the guys who make the worst markets because they're going to get paid more for that flow. Does that make sense? I E-trade, think so. E-Trade has, and E-Trade shows, and TD Ameritrade shows and Schwab shows, they show their clients, look, we do this, but we get you, we actually get price improvements. You've got a better execution than you would have if you had just, we had just done this on the, on, on, on the exchange. Just to interrupt, um, Schwab, I have an account, it's Schwab, and every trade you do, they show that, that price improvement. So they'll show the market, you execute your trade, and they'll show you, hey, we got you better than, than what was shown there. And that, that's a good feeling. I'm guessing Robinhood doesn't have any of that. Your main complaint here is that there's no transparency here as far as how Robinhood is making right. their money, that they should be showing it these numbers the same way that Schwab is doing. But I'm a guy. I want to get in the game. You're telling me it's free. I'm having a great experience here on this app. What's the problem? You know, it's interesting because that is literally we, I've had these conversations because it's good. Because my, you know, my a lot of my son's friends they talk. We, I mean, we talk about it. They show me stuff, and um, and what a lot of them when they start seeing it, they're like, yeah. But also, let's face it, they're not happy with the customer service. They're not happy with the outages and all the other craps. So they're like. Okay, I kind of know what I'm doing now. Should I move? I'm going to move my money over to E-Trade. I'm gonna, like people are, guys who are getting wise are starting to are starting to leave. But to your point and Richie's point, in December 2019, the SEC fined Robinhood one and a half million dollars, one point one, not even one and a half, one one and a quarter million dollars because they found out that Robinhood had no mechanism. For doing what Richie said that Schwab and E Trade and, and TD Ameritrade, they were not even checking to see if they were getting the best price for their client. There wasn't even a process in place to check. They had to build that. So if you think about it, they don't give a shit. Like, because you're not looking, you know, what, why? I, I make more money. The, the, the more money I can make, especially in options are huge. And that's, that's why they get the kids into trading options because they get paid a lot more on options because options have a, remember they get paid on that. They get paid based on a spread. If this is a stock, these are options, especially a lot of options. 
and there's no national best bid, best offer thing out there. So they send that money. And if, if the high frequency trader makes, you know, five bucks on that, they get a buck. If, if Schwab sends this, the same thing over, they get like 15 cents. So they, because they, um, it's, it's, it's like getting their glorified drug dealers. That's really what it is. It's like they get these kids hooked on the options, the fast paced moving stuff, even the stocks. They get them hooked on the trading. This is great. It's zero. And they just keep feeding them, feeding them, feeding them. I need more trading. I need more action. I need more action. And these kids are going to go around. You watch. You watch how, how it happens. These kids are going to go around to all their family members who are may or may not be experienced in this thing. And they're going to be like, hey, Uncle Joe, look what I did. Holy shit. Holy shit. Hey, kid, here's 10 grand. Go do that. Go do that for me. And then one day, and that day comes quicker than a lot of people think. And Uncle Joe is looking for his dough. And he's like, you dumb fuck. You're out of the will. And then everybody's smart until they're not. Last technical thing, because I get too, but this is important. It's important. Kids are out there listening to this. That's what we're, that's what we're really about on this one. On all of it. Is it, there's an order. So what they did is they said, look, you know, you're not going to be near your phone all the time. You're putting on, you know, you, you got to trade on in Tesla, right? You know, and you own a, you own a call option on Tesla and it's up 20 grand right now. But you know, Tesla moves five, six percent a day. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's a very volatile stock. So you know what? You put in what's called a stop limit order. And what that says is, Hey, this thing's worth 20 bucks. If this thing hits 18, goes down, sell it. Like, autom- it's automatic. You trigger an like, automatic I- sale, yeah. Automatic sell, I can refresh it every day, or good till, good till cancel and go on forever. Well, when you do that, especially when it's bad for, that's not a bad trade, but it's bad in this sense for stocks and even worse for options with what's what happening to these kids. When you give the high-frequency traders stop limit orders, especially on options, they know now where the market has to get to where there will be a lot of well, – they know if that gets to 18, Aaron, Richie, and Eric, and a million guys like us, automatic sell. They know. So guess what they do? They, they, they have these they have clusters. They're built around a certain level. They know if this thing is at 18 and a half, they're going to push that thing to 18. They'll go in there and, and smack it around. We're going to do some analysis on this. Because my 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 sources, the, my Robinhood people, are giving me. They're basically saying, "Here, I did I did do a stop limit. Here's where I got stopped out." I said, "Great, you have the date, you have the time, you have the you have the ticker symbol, the stock you did it on." I have ways of my, what I do. My, my company is we have ways of actually going and looking, and seeing what happened when you got stopped out, and it's, it's called leaning leaning on the leaning on the order, leaning on the bid. When they see it getting there. They just push it, push it to 18. They know that everyone's that there's going to be a lot of selling and they just back up. They just, the bid, the, the, the bid of the buy price in the market just disappears. It goes, they let that thing fall three bucks and then they, then they buy it and they're shorted. They, 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 they're going to, they're going to get in there. They're going to short the stock and they're going to wait until that. And, they, and if they can push it there, they push it there. Nobody's the wiser. How Nobody, do they push it there? How, how does that happen? A lot of volume. They have so much, uh, so many different clients and resources and money themselves. They run some of their own accounts and they just hit at every sell order they can. 
And that just drops it, drops it, drops it, drops it. Eventually, I mean, it doesn't always work that way. You know, if you have somebody who really wants to buy a customer, say, and goes in and says, oh, that looks cheap. I'll, I'll take it there. But these guys can move the markets. They can move them. They know. It's interesting. I saw so I once talked to like a, a sports better expert who was talking about mm-hmm. how they are able to move a line like an over under. It's the same kind of concept same where, concept. you know, they'll throw a bunch of money at an over or whatever to push it higher just so they can and get they, in and bet the under. Yes. And and also another good analysis analogy to that is because I spent some time in the sports betting world, too. They always say in Vegas, now it's harder because back in the day when you had to show up, you don't have to that. But they can track you still. They know the accounts. If you talk to the guys who ran the sports books, they would always say, oh, I'm not so concerned about the cash, the amount of money. I want to know who the cat is that's placing that bet. Because if they know it's a wise guy, they're like, he's got people 20 places outside of here that are doing this all at the same fucking time. And he's putting up 50 bucks. And there's probably a million dollars going into this bet. Same idea. Same idea. So if if like Goldman Sachs is somehow involved in one of these trades and you and they're calling some trader and it's like, oh, shit, it's Goldman. They know something. OK, back that fucker up and, and they can just make it and they just laugh and go, yeah, OK, we weren't really going to sell that much. But uh, now we'll buy. How about that? Yeah. If they know where the money's coming from, they're less inclined they to react yeah. to it. Right. Right. Or they'll give, if, if, if they catch it in time. So the, the example I'm using, the guy with the 50 bucks, who's the who's the kingpin and they know him, he might get a good price on his 50, measly $50. But immediately all the other casinos have jacked that thing before that million bucks can go. So now now they think twice about it. Now it's like, oh, I want to get down at 46. The fucking line went to 49 already. What the hell's going on? And then they pull away. So they, they outfox him if they can. When did Lewis write Flash Boys? Like 14, early? Yeah. 12, so Michael Lewis wrote, for, if you're not familiar with it, he wrote a book, um, all of his books, I love his books. Um, he uh, he wrote a book called Flash Boys, and it's, it's all about the high-frequency traders. And it shows, it's, it's all about these super high-speed you know, algorithms that literally, where your server is in relation to the exchange server, like guys were fighting over real estate over to be a foot closer because the speed is so great that that if you could get a jump on somebody by 20 milliseconds, less than a tenth of a second, you're going to win. You're, you're going to make money. Those are the types of things and how valuable they are to these guys. And there's a winner and there's a loser. Sure seems like the game is rigged. I don't know why it's so hard to believe uh, in Wall Street, man. Nothing's changed. Technology's just made it better. All right. Well, this is definitely going to be an ongoing conversation on the podcast. If for no other reason than Eric has to win the argument against his son. That's the monkey business that's happening right here, right now. 